Nej. I realized this morning how big my Bible is when I come to preach. This isn't the Bible I use normally. Like serious Bible. I don't know why I do that. So good morning. Um, firstly, I just want to kind of reiterate what Andrew is saying. The Safe Families uh, for Children sounds like a great thing to try and get behind. If you feel like you've, you can offer any amount of time, there is immediate need of families who could benefit from your time. We've got a number of people who work in social care in here anyway, but if you, you know, I really feel it is the heart of God um, when we engage with families um, as, as Christians and believers, because we are entering those situations knowing that we are taking Christ with us um, and we can make a difference. We really can. Um, not because we are special or anything like that, but because of Christ, because of uh, because what he can do in people's lives and hearts. So, yeah, do pray and think about that. We're going to start off. Um, <clears throat> we're going through a series in 1 Thessalonians. So this morning I'm looking at 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 1 to 8, and the title of today's preach is the gospel impacting how we live. <laughs> uh, so I was just going to read the scripture. You looked at me like I don't Okay. A life pleasing to God. Sorry. Yeah, my wife was looking at me like I've completely forgotten to do something, but I haven't. No, that's okay then. <sighs> A life pleasing to God. Finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. I'm just going to pray quickly. Father God, I thank you for bringing us here this morning. I thank you for uh, being able to worship you and meeting with you. You are so holy, so so much more than we could ever think, imagine. You are uncontainable, God. We just ask you to come now. Lord, I pray you use this word to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Right, so we're going to start with Paul's first word here, finally. 
Um, and this finally is a kind of like it's uh, it's a kind of like a Paul's pet phrase. He says it quite a bit. Finally, but he's not actually meaning finally. It's not like a final. It's done. It's a kind of as for other matters. So it's Paul's continuation of Thessalonians. Uh, in my mind, it's an excellent kind of mix of nice to see you, to see you. And in Spider-Man, Green Goblin's uh, speech to Peter Parker, where he says, commencement, the end of one thing, the start of something new. It's Paul indicating that we're starting a new section here in in chapter 4, rather than wrapping things up just yet. And I bet you didn't think two minutes into it, I was going to get Bruce Forsyth. And Spider-Man. But I did. So verse 1. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. So Paul is suggesting here that a life pleasing to God or evidence of how the gospel is impacting how we live, it can be measured in how We are growing. So I'm going to ask you some questions. Are you the same person uh, as when you first met Jesus? Do you behave in the same way? Are your attitudes the same as when you first accepted, accepted Christ? Or do you feel that you are growing? I see a lot of heads nodding, so that's good. Because you've received the gospel and you are now made to grow in Christ in the instruction that you received and the relationships that you have here with fellow believers. And at the start, I just want to release you, if you like, into growing. And if you know the person next to you and you feel comfortable doing it, you could say, be released to grow it's a part of our relationship with jesus it's what he's called us to do is to grow we should not be the same kind of person as we are at the start of meeting jesus absolutely not and we're not talking about growth as in height or anything like that. I mean, I would be coming last in that competition. But it's in your character, in your inner being, in your spirit. We're talking about spiritual things, yeah? Because we're spiritual people. We're talking about spiritual growth. Um, believe it or not, I know I don't look like it, but I actually ran a marathon last year. And I am training for another marathon this year. And trust me, you are not able to go from 5K to 26.2 overnight. It's a long old journey. And just as it is growing in Christ, it's a long journey. It's tough. It takes a lot of time, but it's well worth doing. So why should we grow? Ooh, we're going to move on to verse 3. It is It it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, 
that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. So Paul kind of goes into some specifics now as to why we should grow so that we can be sanctified and that we should avoid sexual immorality. So what is sanctification? Well, simply, sanctification is growth in likeness to Christ. Wayne Grudem uh, writes here, he's talking about the application of redemption, but he kind of gets on to sanctification. He says this, But now we, we come to a part of the application of redemption that is a progressive work that continues throughout our earthly lives. It is also a work in which God and man cooperate, each playing distinct roles. This part of the application of redemption is called sanctification. Sanctification is a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. So the phrase that I particularly want to focus upon is the progressive work. Like I said, like a marathon doesn't happen overnight. We do not become sanctified overnight. It's a progress, uh, progressive. It would be impressive if it was progressive, but it's progressive. It's a progressive work. It's a work of God, but it's also a work that we have to participate in to see happen. It's God's will that we should become more and more free from sin in our actual lives, day to day, every day, where you're sitting now, not in five years' time, not in ten years' time. Well, actually, yes, in five years' time and ten years' time, but today also, that this is something we are working towards. And yeah, there is a bit of uh, duality, I suppose, in some of the thinking, because we are broken people, and if you're in Christ today, then you are actually made whole in Christ. Yeah? Your sins have been forgiven. Praise God for that work that happened on that day when you accepted Christ. That is a miracle right there. But what we're talking about is the part that we have to play now that we are in Christ, post being saved. And this is where sanctification comes in. The application of biblical instruction to our lives day to day, every day, for the rest of our lives. Hooray! <laughs> yeah, everyone really excited about that. And it's something that I am learning as a father. So I've got a five-year-old and a six-year-old. Two daughters that at the moment just love to be really helpful, in inverted commas. They love to give it, you know, have a go at the dishwasher, even though it's my domain and no one can actually do the dishwasher right, obviously, except for me. They, <laughs> you know, they'll try and pack it all in there and have a go. And it's great, but they need instruction, you know, and an opportunity to have a go 
before they learn that skill and then they can move on. They're not quite there with the dishwasher. We're going to move up, progress up to the dishwasher maybe. I don't know. But it's a, it's a, it's a skill. And so there's a, the next challenge that they want to conquer after that. And I feel that's a lot how sanctification can work. We see an issue within us, something that we feel perhaps God's put on our hearts or something, something that we feel we need to change, something that isn't quite um, uh, in line with the gospel. And God, through his grace, gives us opportunities and the strength to make our lives more glorifying to him and to become more Christ-like. Coming right up. Fish and chips. <laughs> Everyone's hungry now. Thank you, Morgan Freeman, for that moment there. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's not about kind of getting it perfect each time or seeing immediate results. It's a work, but it's realizing that in Christ, you have the power to overcome challenges. And to go back to the marathon again, I don't want to bang on about the marathon. You know, I ran a marathon. so well, yeah. But um, it's not that you can't run a marathon. It's about training and working the muscles so that you can reach your goal. And I, before I start sounding like Tony Robbins and self-help coach, it's not a power that comes from you. Okay? It's a power that can only come from Christ and receiving him. 2 Peter 1 verse 3 says this, His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who calls us to his own glory and excellence. Wow. That is awesome. His divine power has granted you all things that pertain to life and godliness. Hallelujah. It's not much to do with us. There is something for us to do, but it's not much to do with us. He's given us the muscles we need for life of righteousness, as it were. And he gives us opportunities to stretch and strengthen them to run the race set before us. I live with uh, two young daughters. Hannah and I have also um, were foster carers as well to a 16-year-old. And living with the teenagers taught me something as well. Taught me an awful lot. <laughs> it's almost how, every, and I remember it when I was a teenager, wanting to kind of shock my parents, you know, or my mum with, with my behavior and the things that I've been up to, you know, oh, there's no one cooler, no one better than me. And sorry, Tina, you know what? You guys are lovely. And I was a terrible teenager. That's what it was. But <laughs> sometimes it's the case that, you, you know, you do get some, uh, some young people who, who want to kind of shock, um, you know, the older generation with the things they're doing. Um, but actually, I'm reminded that in actual fact, human nature hasn't changed since we left Eden. And the sin is the same throughout each generation. And Paul speaks to the church in Corinth and says, 
No temptation is overtaking you, um, has overtaken you that is not common to man. And going back to Thessalonians, Paul exhorts the church to stay away from sin and specifically to avoid sexual immorality. And one commentator says this. Paul gave, his, uh, gave these commands to a first century Roman culture that was marked by sexual immorality. At this time in the Roman Empire, chastity and sexual purity were almost unknown virtues. Nevertheless, Christians were to take their standards of sexual morality from God and not from the culture. The ancient writer Demos... Did someone say it? Demosthenes. Demosthenes? Yeah. That's great. What a great word. I should have just changed it. Mr. D, yeah, Mr. D. Expressed the generally amoral view of sex in the ancient Roman Empire. We keep prostitutes for pleasure. We keep mistresses for the day-to-day needs of the body. We keep wives for the faithful guardianship of our homes. Paul is saying it's important for your sanctification that when in Rome, do not do as the Romans do. Obviously, Thessalonica is not in Rome, I know that. But you get what I mean. Paul's not pointing out the sexual sin that the church that the church in Thessalonica is engaged in at the time as such but rather just be wary of the culture around them within the church recent converts from a pagan background who are used to amoral attitudes towards sex and older believers in the church should learn to control their own body in a way that is holy and honorable and it's just as important to us these days. I recently watched a uh, political journalistic blog. I, I'm not a media savvy person, so that's the best way I could describe that, I'm afraid. But it's called TDLR. And they said that um, one of the major adult websites had 57 billion searches last year in the UK alone. And my point earlier with each generation wanting to be more outrageous is that just as the one, just as the one before in, in uh, first century Roman culture, there's a 21st century British culture that includes the acceptance of sexual immorality and we should remain separate from it. Our battle is this. The culture that we are surrounded in is not engaged in pleasing God. It is not interested in pleasing God. Its desire is to increase its own influence, its own philosophy, its own ideas. And we, as the people of God, as the ones who have been called, we must remain totally secure and fixed upon what scripture says is good and pleasing to God in the realm of sexual morality but in other areas as well which is this 
In, in regards to sexual morality, the Bible says this, what is good and pleasing to God is marriage between one man and one woman. We, um, yesterday, we went to uh, a wedding of um, Cameron Todd's. Lots of people know Cameron. And uh, it's just amazing. You know, what a great witness that is, these two young people coming together, making vows. And it was a real joyful day. We saw Jill and Graham and Gary and Karen, obviously, and it was all lovely, lovely, lovely. But the, it is a witness to their friends. It's a witness to, um, to the people they know who are unbelievers, their family. That is a, a real commitment. Is this a call for piety and a holier-than-thou attitude? Absolutely not. Galatians 6, but far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, the only rights that we have are those that are in Christ Jesus. That's the only uh, aspect that we can boast about is in our Lord Jesus. Nothing else about us, but we should be a witness. And it's sad when you see Christians who are unapproachable. Jesus wasn't. Jesus, while he was on earth, he wasn't pious or arrogant. Instead, he was humble, kind, and he spent time with anyone. In fact, Jesus spent time um, with people who made the Pharisees often feel quite uncomfortable. And we should be demonstrating the same thing in our own town, in our own relationships and in the way that we live. Verse 6. It's an odd place to start. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, but obviously he's talking about sex, within sex, um, to do with sexual immorality, that no one transgress in this way and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. Avenger. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Often the line is, and particularly, I think, with sexual sin, but you know, with, with other kinds of sin as well, is that really I'm the only one who's going to get hurt here, so it really doesn't matter what I do if I'm the only one who's going to get hurt. But that's a lie. It's a complete lie. People around you, friends, family, they're not too old. They're not too gracious or too busy or too disinterested to be hurt or feel the impact of your actions. The transgression that Paul is referring to includes defrauding, exploiting or cheating a fellow believer in relation to sexual sin. And God is an avenger to those who have experienced that. We don't hear a lot about God being an avenger. I was, didn't expect to see avenger when I was reading it, to be honest. In the New Testament, it's, you know, it's, it's not a word that we use to describe God very often. 
And it's the kind of word that I kind of associate with justice and right and wrong, or Avengers, Earth's mightiest heroes, acting as its last line of defense against the evil forces of Thanos. Perhaps not. It would be a quick movie. But I think what's important for us to take away is this is God's heart towards sexual sin, and it's this. He responds to it. You may not like it, but he responds to it. God's plan for us is that we live in a way that pleases him. We're called to grow in holiness, be sanctified through our walk with God, becoming more like Christ. He wants us not to be drawn into, sexual, into the sexual immorality of our age, which will be a part of human society for ages and ages to come, but rather remain separate and fixed upon glorifying him with our lives. Because God is moved by our actions, good and bad. But thank God, because he has sent us a helper, his Holy Spirit. Verse 8. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So I'm going to end there, but I'm going to ask us to pray for each other. Maybe in, like, if, if everyone feels comfortable with it, like, in, like, little sections, that's okay, so with the people around you. And if you want to ask God um, for just being filled by the Holy Spirit, you can do that. If there's something specific you want prayer for, we can do that. But it would be great if we could just pray for each other. Is that okay? Great. I'll, I'll just pray now. Maybe the worship team can come up as well. Steve's on his way. Father God, thank you that you are alive. Thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit. Lord, I just ask you to come and pour upon us now as we, as we share with each other where we're at. Father, I just pray that you come and meet our needs.